You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and today we're buzzing it into episode 163, not 23, 63. Did I We've write 123? No, no, oh. I just almost said 23. <laughs> is it really 163? I don't even know. I believe it is. It's right. been a while. <laughs> you know, um, we recorded so many episodes back to back to back to back, and then we haven't recorded in probably two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I'm thinking about... Uh, our next guest, which we don't have anything confirmed. And um, and I'm going to actually text the potential guy right now and just see <laughs> if, uh, if he reached out to the co-guest. All right. Awesome. Awesome. We're trying to – Tom and I, we went from a crazy spring now scrambling to just try to firm everything up before we both go on vacation in July. So I, I kind of feel like once we get back after vacation and get caught up, it will probably be more of a normal schedule again. But – I, I would I'm assume probably, so. I'm probably yeah. jinxing it saying that. Yeah. Probably making it worse. Yeah, but we have a episode that's chock full of great native plant information, but we want to start with our follow-up uh, on some past episodes. Again, we're out yes. of practice, so this is a little little weird. We, but, um, we are, because I feel like it's been so long ago since we've we've done this. Yeah, yeah. But wait, you want? I was curious. I know the last episode, 161... For the take it or leave it, we talked about botany, Victorian adventure. Did we buy the game? I know you were saying no, there were only no, six left. No, we didn't buy the game. <laughs> and um, I, I just so what happened is uh, like many times we do on this podcast, we hit stop record, took the headphones off, and everything we talked about completely vanished. <laughs> we, our lives. We, we, <laughs> we go running back to our desks and then, to uh, see what we missed, yeah. and then. And then, um, so then I looked at the the script that you had for us and yeah. that note, and I'm like, oh, I forgot all about that. Let me go buy it now. And then I'm because you didn't in the script, you just put a Victorian adventure. Oh yeah. And I'm googling a Victorian adventure, and I'm not finding anything gotcha. for like a Victorian adventure game, uh, Victorian adventure Kickstarter game, like all yeah. these different combos, <laughs> plants, nothing. And then, um, then I opened up my laptop, which I haven't opened up in two weeks. And Neither yeah, it's just sitting right here. It's, um, botany. Yeah, botany, you. flower hunting in the Victorian era, and uh, and you can still pre-order it. So All right, awesome. It doesn't ship until 03 of 2024. Uh, that's fine. Um, you know, expected, expected. But. I'm thinking for the sake of our setup, I know we had a chance to think about it and talk about it. One former guest, one listener, there will be four of us, Yes, and we can record it and play it. We'll do a video of it. Also, when the time comes, we've had a lot of interest from our listeners that have reached out saying, I'm interested and I will be available if you want to do it. So, And what, what was also interesting is all these folks that shared other like ecology-based games I that they no, played. I had no idea. I, yeah, I'm, my, my board game knowledge kind of ends um, somewhere between Sorry and Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and there's is although there are some my that's been something my wife and I have been doing is getting like little I don't know like funny card 
slash board games. Like mostly ex- card games that play. Like exploding kittens or I haven't played that one, but I've okay. heard of it. We have one that was called uh we haven't played it in a while. It was like Pizza Taco Cat something or other. Yeah. Cheese I've- Pizza Taco Cat, something like that. And then, but you like keep flipping cards, and then yeah. you smack the pile when there's a double, or I don't, or when you say what you put down. That's what it was. Very simple. I Very simple. Game. I haven't played that one, but my kids say they love it. My yeah. my kids buy all these games that I've never heard of. Like they they go to like Kickstarters and things like that and yeah. buy games where you're like in an old like during like Lord of the Ring times, like in a in an inn, and you're doing deals and stuff like that. I'm like, where do you even hear about these games from? Yeah, then, um, what's the other one? There was one that my wife got me that was, uh, it's about, it was about butts. <laughs> it's just like all Is it these by Sir Mix-a-Lot? Maybe, but <laughs> it's funny because there was like a, a, a soft tushy that you would smack for really? like part of the rules, but it was like, it was kind of like a matching game, Okay, but you're like each putting down cards and then as the, if you... Yeah, maybe when there was like more than three of a kind or matches, you smacked the butt that was on the table, <laughs> and then whoever smacked it got all the cards. I don't remember all the rules. It's been a while, but um, but it reminds seeing all these other games. It was really interesting. Yes, um, I agree. especially that there's that many ecology games, and it reminded me that I in that same game drawer we had, I bought a game when my son was born, so about three years ago. That I remember playing with my parents and brother as a kid called like I think it was Into the Forest or Into the Woods. I posted in the group, and um, but that was like such a fun game because it was again like based around what our family interests were about going into the forest and like it was if there was like it was kind of like war in a sense. Okay, yeah, like you'd play a mouse card and then the other person played like a hawk card. Well, the hawk ate the mouse or the owl ate the mouse, whatever card mm-hmm. it was. Um. But the the best card in the game, like in the bear would eat berries, like the basically things would eat other things. It was the whole food web, yeah. And things would eat other things. And if you played a card, so like I said, if you played a mouse card, and it was a, a hawk, like the hawk would eat the mouse. But say you played like a chipmunk, the chipmunk didn't eat the mouse, and the mouse didn't eat the chipmunk. So then you kept playing. Very. Then good. people get the stacks. But the best card in the game was a card called Death and Decay. <laughs> <laughs> that conquered all. You could have the the big grizzly bear card in the game. You put that death and decay uh took it. Except I think death and decay did beat everything except like fungus. It was like fungus and maybe like coyotes could beat death and decay. That's pretty it was that sounds like, like a really cool game actually. It was, yeah, it was again very simple but like a, a learn, you learn a lot yeah. playing the game. I'm trying to look up some of the other games that were posted are here. Are they nu- are they numbered so you know what beats what? Like are they like, yeah, like assigned like have, one through um, ten, so you know like a four beats a two, somewhat or something like it, that. Not exactly. It was more like the say you had a, a again. I haven't opened this game in a long time. Say you had the the bear or the black yeah. bear card. It would say the black bear eats berries, oh, okay. mice, and like gotcha and something else. I don't I don't remember. All right. Um, there's no people, so it was there was no man eating <laughs> bears, <laughs> but it would but it would be like three or four things, and then um. But then you have other things, like a, the mice, the mouse might only eat seeds. And then there's like a card, there's like birds on the ground and then birds in the on a in a tree were two different cards. And like birds on the ground would eat like seeds and insects and birds in the tree would eat insects and something else. And All right. I so, see yeah. our, our yeah. money-making idea. 
All right? Okay. There was a missed opportunity when that game was created. I say we retool it, and instead of Death and Decay, the card that beats everything is Sasquatch. <laughs> what do you think? No, we'll like, make it a Bigfoot yeah. Bigfoot adventure, yeah, and it trumps yeah, yeah. all. It's like Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, I found some of the games. There's one Wingspan that was, um, I'm assuming about birds. Uh there's one called Morels, which looks oh, a strategic cool. foraging and feasting for two. There's, that's pretty uh, there's cool. There's a tagline on that, and it's got some picture of morels and some leaf litter on there. Um, Sibley Backyard Birds, uh, which is a matching game. And it doesn't say what Wingspan actually was. So, Alyssa Lewis, you got to tell, tell us what, what Wingspan is. I think there's is. a picture of a bird on the front. So, I think yeah. you're right. I think it has something to do with birds. Oh, then, then Pat... Uh, I'm going to guess it's Nemes, but it could be Nemes. I would I'm have guessed sure. Nemes. Nemes. I'm going to go with Nemes. Um, he had one called Cascadia, which was also a, a someone listed, Kickstarter one. Yeah. Someone listed like 20. I can't remember who it was, but someone had a whole list. Yeah, no that's photos, what I'm looking but, at now. Yeah. Cascadia sounds cool. That's um, Yeah, that's one that but we might have to have like all kinds of game nights. And then yeah, I'm, I, then I put I put up my picture of uh, into the forest, and it was oh this is what it was. So you had um, praying in- insects was one of the cards, and then it would say you had a column of everything that it would eat, okay. and another one that was everything it was eaten by. Very cool. So All right. that one is very long. All right. um, when we have a game night, yeah. let's make the decision now. Are we introducing alcohol? Oh gosh! Not saying it's, making a drinking game, but like, are yeah. we having a drink while well, we do it? It depends. Yes, it depends on the time of day, friend. We haven't even oh. gotten that far. We haven't picked the time of day, or well, we have to get the game. I'm if assuming it's a game if we night, have, it's at. I, I would imagine it would be after work. So yeah. if we were to yeah. have a beer or two while playing, I would imagine as long as no one takes it out of control and has rides covered, I think that would be safe. Yeah, and fun. I don't know. I think it's a good idea. Do, do you want to do multi? Let's. Do you want to do one prior to this to see as a test? And like just pick just a game and do, just yeah, yeah, do a game night and see how yeah, it goes. Well, because March March twenty twenty four is a long time to wait. It one because and that could even be it could end be of the March end of March. It could be extended with with how much with it's going to take some time to learn the rules. With <laughs> how much money they've got, more than like like I've bought Kickstarter projects yeah. before, and it, when they exceed the amount by the as much as they have. They're like, oh, we have more money. We're going to retool it and make it better. So it could come out like six months after that. So if you mm-hmm. want to pick a game and we could do a game night prior, yeah. I'd be down for that. Yeah, I think we might have to. All right. And we'll record that one. And, and see, see how, how it goes. goes. See and if then, it's publishable. Yes. Yeah. And because the, that's the other thing with this this Victorian adventure uh, game would be it's going to take a while to learn the rules. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything worse than like the first couple minutes of a game, a brand new game, yeah. when no one knows the rules. No one can figure it out. Especially except if it's a except quick for game. me. <laughs> I, I read like I'm one of those people who reads all the rules and then tells people, No, you're this that's not the rules. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> Until, yeah. And then so I which gives me an advantage early on, and then other people figure out how to play the game and I no longer have an advantage. And it hurts my feelings. I don't want to play the game anymore. <laughs> well, if it's a quick game, we could do a test run so everyone knows how to play, and then we can record the real game. Yes. We could yeah. always do that, unless it's a game that's like an hour long. Obviously, you're not going to do two runs of that. So, 
Although we record, we talk for two hours. It's that's true. Who knows? That's true. Oh, Cascadia, you can buy on Amazon now. All, All right. right, maybe we'll get that one too. All right. Cool. Um, yeah. So that's that piece of follow up. But yes. the more important piece of follow up we have. This is important. Is we have a winner. Well, that's not we, true. No, we don't. No, we don't have a winner. We have a winner for who was chosen as a representative for the Facebook group. We have a winner that way. They yes. they picked a they picked their entry. But we don't know. We well, you know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And um so but we have our and, and our then you and I each yeah, have to vote as well. Our song contest. Yes. Is who what we're talking about right now. We're talking about the song the contest. Native plant the native anthem. plant anthem song contest. The winner which will get $100 worth of swag from the Native Plants Healthy Planet store. And also, it will be the outro music for every episode of Native Plants Healthy Planet moving forward. A so, pretty big prize. Can you remind us, remind everyone who, who's listening, who were our contestants? We, we asked for submissions yeah, we a did. long time ago. So we forgot. Do you want real names said, or just the names they submitted? Just the names they submitted. Okay. We forgot who actually what the time frame was on what we we asked for. So then we set a new deadline and said this is the actual yeah. deadline. And we got two submissions. And we got two on the submissions literally like the day before it ended. Yeah. And they're both great. Realistically, we probably should have played them again right now. I can. Okay. I have them. Well, with me. nah. You All know right. what? Let's let's not. It's, All right. We got it. We have, we have a. A lot of stuff to do. We we do, and that's that you're you're adding another five minutes. But so. we had Swamp Pink and the Bladderworts, yeah. right? And Big Blue Stem featuring Baptisia Deline. Yes, yeah. So, how do you want to do it? Do you want to? I'm gonna say, Fran, we should give our votes first, okay, and then let the people be the deciding vote. All right, sounds good. You want to go, or you want me to go? I'll go. All right, and say, I I thought they were both wonderful. Yeah, from a, an actual like listenability standpoint i probably like swamp pink and the bladder words a okay. little bit better okay but for the one that made me laugh more <laughs> it was definitely <laughs> big blue stem and uh and baptisia deline is that your pick that's my pick that's All my right. winner so uh, behind the scenes when we played them over the air on episode 161 tom and i had to mute our microphones because we were laughing through big blue stem and Featuring Baptiste Deline because we were just enjoying it and we were laughing. Yeah, yeah. I will say just for, the the whole like Bob Dylan riff. Yeah, made me crack up. It I made me it. crack up too. Yeah. But for me, given the type of music I like and what I would listen to, although both fantastic entries, I enjoy both. I am going to go with Swamp Pink and the Blood Awards. So we're one and one. So the listeners will their vote will break the tie. Mm-hmm. So. I just checked. I, I let it go yeah. down to the last minute. We I, bumped a couple I have times. A, an editing suggestion. You oh. should make a note of the timestamp right now. Right now, okay. or even a couple minutes ago, all so right. we don't have to listen to the songs right now <laughs> and waste and, and waste our time when we have all these other things to do. Yeah. but you can edit them in. Oh, you I could, can yeah, edit them in using the science of or the the technology, right. and we can edit the songs in. So I'm, you guys just heard those songs. I'm gonna actually oh. edit them right now. Yeah. So ready? Take a listen. To both entries. In 
Woods, Woods, Wetlands and Dales Grows a bounty of beauty that never fails Our native plants so diverse and so rare Treasures of our land beyond compare For the friends below, soaring oaks above Each plant has a place, each plant is love Modern caterpillars, moss milk, wheat so tall These buzz about, sifting lectures fall Oh native plants, how do you grace this land In your diversity Menard is so stunning, can't help but adore Your colors, the fragrance, a piece for the eye Their value too wild, like no need to disguise Native plants, how you grace this land In your diversity, we will take a stand Yo, this goes out to all the native plants out there Nothing introduced. In fields and in meadows, on hills and in dales, grows a bounty of beauty that never fails. Oh, native plants, you're so diverse and so rare. You're the treasures of a land, you're beyond compare. Oh, native plants, how you grace the land in your diversity. That's how we take a stand. To protect and to preserve for generations to come. Your beauty and importance, they're second to none. From towering trees to ground level shrubs, yo, each plant has its place and each plant has its love. And the monarchs, they flutter by on milkweed so tall, while bees buzz about sipping nectar from all what? Oh, native plants. How you grace the land in your diversity. That's how we take a stand to protect and to preserve for generations to come. Oh, your beauty and importance, they're second to none. We got goldenrod asters and coneflowers galore. They're wildflowers so stunning we can't help but adore. Yo, their colors, their fragrance, they're a feast for the eyes. And their value to wildlife, no need to disguise. Oh, native plants, how you grace the land in your diversity. That's, that's how we take a stand to protect and to preserve for generations to come. Your beauty and importance. They're second to none. As we walk through the woods and along the streams, yo, we're grateful for the native plants that are a dream. They provide us with food, shelter, and more, and their benefits to our planet we can't ignore. Native plants, how you grace the land in your diversity. That's, that's how we take a stand. To protect and to preserve for generations to come. Your beauty and importance are second to none. 
So let's celebrate native plants far and wide. Their importance to our world, yo, we can't deny. Let's work together to protect and preserve the gifts of nature we so dearly deserve. Yo, native plants, peace out. Keep growing. That's how we going. Out. All right. So. Wow. What, what, <laughs> what, what can you say? <laughs> what, what great songs. <laughs> so. I just checked the Facebook group, and we do have a winner. Uh, the The group did speak. There were thirty votes, and there was a winner by a uh, a margin of eighteen to twelve. And the winner is Swamp Pink and the Bladderworts wow. with their version of the Native Plant Anthem. So, congratulations! It is a, they are deserving winner. That yeah. was uh, I love both submissions. Um, I was really. Uh, pressing Fran saying we should submit one too as like an acapella version <laughs> as like a barbershop quartet acapella version I would be the deep voice <laughs> I, I would be the high <laughs> voice send it to the, the tune of Elvira and like going with that <laughs> there has to be a native plant that rhymes with giddy up Maybe we'll we'll yeah. maybe after the game night after we've had a couple drinks we'll, we'll actually we'll break it follow out through and record that yeah so congratulations to Swamp Pink and the Bladderworts you will hear them as outro music on this episode and from this episode forward congratulations yeah, like, yeah this episode forward until something else strikes us and we say yeah and we had a good run yeah we had a good run we'll change it yeah. we've been known to change theme music although I don't think we've changed it for over a Not, year yeah, for any of the episodes so um. We're going to reach out to the winner after this airs uh, and let them know yeah. how they can claim their $100 yeah. worth of swag. And Fran, you know both submissions I too, do. right? I do. What I'm I'm making an executive decision and saying we never announced there would be a second second place prize. No. But I'm going to say we're going to give a second place prize because I, I love them both so much. I, I think that's and, fantastic uh, So we'll, get, we'll do 50, 50 – Dollars, not fifty thousand dollars. Fifty dollars <laughs> to to uh, big blue stem and one fifty million dollars. <laughs> the big blue stem and uh, Baptiste Dylan. Yeah, I think that's a great. I I support that one hundred percent. That's a great idea. Are we saying the second part of that? Right? I don't know if it's Deline. Deline. I, I figure like, it's Bob, to be Dylan, like Bob Dylan. So yeah. I would imagine it's Deline. That's why yeah. I went that way. But I'm, I don't know. It's got to be. Everything else is a a plant name. Yeah. So, is yeah. there a Deline plant? Uh, maybe there really is a Baptisia Deline. Uh, how bad is it that we don't know the answer to that? I bet you look up Baptisia Deline. Well, I'm just looking up the plant and just doing Deline. How do you how do they spell Deline? D D A L E A N. D A L E A N. Deline. Uh I just assumed it was a plant I'd never heard of. So, all right. Maybe it was just a play on words. Plants of North Idaho? But it doesn't say anything with that in the name. It just says, yeah, somehow that's what came up. So, all right. Moving on. Awesome. All right. Congratulations. Thank you for both entries and your submissions. We appreciate it. And I'm glad that you're both getting a prize. It was a lot of fun for us. Um, I'm just wowed by how creative some people are. I agree. I agree. And there were other people that said they were going to put something together and they never did. So maybe another another contest like this down the road yeah. may oh, hit yeah. like 
we'll we'll hit up our old friend Chat GPT to come up with lyrics for another song. Or one of our suggestions was to let people come up with their own song. I like that. And uh, maybe you, that's what we do. You can write about Tom and Fran. That would definitely get you votes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what do you think? I'm just looking where we're at. You want to do a little bit of That's Hot? Yeah. All right. I am curious about yours. Would you like to go first? Yeah, you're you're curious because I have so much in there. Um, well, I'm curious at the 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 plant you chose. Too. Yeah, yeah. So my plant this week is a, a plant called swamp dock. And uh, if you haven't heard of swamp dock, that's probably for good reason because uh, <laughs> it's it's not something I think many people will be familiar with. I don't recommend you plant it in your yard. It's uh, it tends to grow. It's like an emergent plant. It grows in. Um, just right at the edge of the water. We have it in our irrigation ponds here. And just this past two years, it's gotten, like, really aggressive. It yeah. just kind of popped up out of nowhere, and then it's spread slowly, slowly, slowly. So and like now all of a sudden, all, it's all over the place. It's, like, in all the corners. Yes, yeah. Which is interesting. And um, I found a little bit about it uh, from Illinois Waterfl- uh, Illinois Wildflowers website. Uh, they had a little write-up. A lot of the websites don't have a write-up on this plant. Like, I went on GoBotany. Nothing really. No, no words. It was just like, hey, it's here. It's native to this range. And that's you can it. find it like this. And that was it. Um, same thing with uh, with wildflower.org, which is Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center. No real write-up describing it. Just this is where you can find it. Um, it's kind of a nondescript plant. It's not like it's yeah. It's not going to wow showy. you. You're not going to walk by and go, looks what is bad. that? It's, yeah. But um, the little write-up about it was from uh, Illinois Wildflowers, and I'll read some of it. It's a perennial plant that's three to five uh, feet tall and unbranched or sparingly so. The central stem is light green or reddish-green, hairless, and uh, terrate. The alternate leaves are up to 12 inches long and two and a half inches across, becoming smaller as they ascend to the stem. The lowest leaves have petioles about as long as the blade, uh, while middle of the upper leaves have short petioles. The, at the base of each petiole, there's a papery sheath that wraps around the stem, um, and I want to see the seeds is what I really, oh, the blooming period occurs during the summer and lasts about two weeks. Pollination is by the agency of the wind. Uh, each flower is replaced by a three-valved fruit up to one-sixteenth of an inch uh, long while it's fully mature. Each valve is modified. Inner sepal is a deltoid ovate, flattened and smooth along the margins. Each valve encloses a lanceolate uh, tubercle, <laughs> tubercle <laughs> that is uh, located along the upper half of its central vein, and um, each one then contains a, an akeen or a grain, and there's three akeens per fruit. Um, and that's why I want to bring this up, because I'm lying in bed last night and perusing Instagram, and I see something that looks like Swamp Doc. I'm like, hmm, really? this is interesting. And it actually said something about, like, making Doc flour. And, interesting. Uh, so there's a lot of different docks. One of them is like a non-native invasive yardweed that okay. I've grown all over my yard, and I never put it together that these were related. They look almost identical, except one is growing in the water and is a later found out a native plant. Yeah. Well, I knew it was a native plant, but that one's a native plant. The other one's growing all over my yard and my garden and is a non-native plant. But I found it. The person who posted it was uh, Alan Burgo, who's the forager chef, yeah. and it was all about making – Doc flower, where he's taking the seed heads because they are plentiful, um, putting them in like a, a blender or a spice grinder, 
grinding them up, okay. and then you kind of like, I guess, mix them with some water, spread them flat on like a, a lined baking sheet, yeah. and bake them so they're like almost like cracker. And you can have, or he was like, in the thing, he's like, you can grind them in or mix it into bread if you want. Interesting. You have to be careful. They're talking about like sifting it or mixing it with a little water because it'll cut the gluten strands. Because yeah. um, it's not that you want to get some of the 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 sharper pieces out or you're going to yeah. have a more dense, like really flat bread. Um, but he said you could replace like up to 25% of the flour successfully really? than what he tried. And, um, and it's mostly the husks that are ground up. Okay. That form your flour and not so much the seeds. Gotcha. And um, but there's nothing in there about. He wrote about a couple different dock species, um, the ones that are invasive in your yard, and a couple other ones. Are they all Rumex? All Rumex. Okay. And uh, didn't write anything about swamp dock. Okay. You so I sent him a message, <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, do you think this would work?" And he said, "Yeah, I don't see why not." Oh, awesome. And, um, so, yeah, I think I'm going to try it. Awesome. Very um, cool. I'm, actually, let me read exactly what it wrote because he did have a little bit more than I don't see why not. It was uh, probably if it makes nice seed heads that give you a good harvest. Okay. So, But he did warn in one of them that they were really bitter. Like gotcha. a different one of the specific species was really bitter. bitter. So I'm going to try it. Awesome. It, does, it is poisonous. Um, it says the leaves are poisonous to cattle and stuff. So uh, I'm probably not going to eat a lot. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? You try a little bit, maybe. A little yeah, I'll bit. I'll probably try a little bit. There is, uh, yeah, bad things can happen. I yeah. shouldn't joke around and say that. What's the worst that can happen? But um, yeah, no, I'm gonna try it. And unless someone writes into me in the next saying, "Don't do next, that," like, week <laughs> before I actually do it, saying, "No, no, no." You know, you I wonder if you should, as but, a as a past guest, I wonder if you should reach out to Sam Thayer. Not, I have to reach ask. out to him anyway about yeah. some stuff. So. Maybe just um, ask, say, hey, I was going to try this. Yeah. I was thinking this. What do you think? And Sam Thayer and this guy, Alan Burgo, are friends. Yeah. So um, actually live in – both we live in Wisconsin. Yeah. So uh, That'd be I would assume cool. they have similar advice. But we'll see. I don't, you know, I don't know if Swamp Dock is native out there. I don't know. I think it's only really native in the Northeast. Uh, Swamp Dock. What, what do I look up? Bone app. Yeah, there we go. Oh, that didn't, that didn't, I got it. You, Fran, why don't you tell me about your plant? Well, I sure. see where it's, where you know, Rumex is I, made. I didn't get very detailed on my plant because it's a plant that we've chosen for that's hot before, I think in the fall last year, but I chose it for a different reason. We, we have monthly a manager's meeting here at the nursery and we we have it outside of our office and i was sitting at a picnic table and there were flowers all over the picnic table and i'm looking at them and i'm like i don't for some reason it was just drawing a blank like what are these flowers and where are they from and i'm looking up at the trees and i didn't notice any flowers and then i looked a little little harder and the flowers were kind of from the from the front were kind of hidden by the leaves. They're not directly under the leaves, but they're kind of like on the bottom of the stems. And that tree would be common persimmon, uh, Diosporus virginiana, um, or Diospyros. Not really sure. I think it's Diospyros. Um, but it was flowering at the time that I wrote this, which was two weeks ago. A lot of the flowers were falling off. But if you're not familiar with it, they do have belt, tiny bell-shaped yellow flowers that are hidden by the half-grown leaves. Um, 
and the flowers are similar to the look of Lily of the Valley, just to give you an idea. But they're like a pale yellow. Um, you don't you, – sometimes you don't see them because of the leaves. They're mm-hmm. kind of hidden. But if you yeah. get underneath and look up the tree, you, you see them all over. And the beautiful thing is that even though um, persimmon can be pollinated by the by the wind, it's also pollinated by insects, and that includes honeybees, bumblebees, little carpenter bees, digger bees, mason bees, leaf cutting bees, and cuckoo bees. And at the time during the meeting, there were bees all over the tree, so it was just not what you think of as a tree flower, or especially this time of the year going on in June. I just found it really interesting and how many pollinators were flocking to it and just it's a tree that we always talk about because of the fruit the native fruit but for the flowers and the pollinator value it's kind of hard to pass on it so i just wanted to throw that out there i I, we've waxed poetically we've done it on a native plant every day with tom and fran we've done videos so i just wanted to at least point out the flowers and bring attention if you have any persimmon or know where they're at now's a good time to look at the flowers before they're they may be almost gone at this point, but all right. Did you find what you were looking for? I did, yeah. All right. So it is native to quite a bit of the uh, the well northeast and midwest. It's um, basically its native range is anywhere from Vermont all the way down to Florida, okay, and then west to uh, looks like eastern Minnesota, eastern Iowa. Um, and then there's some populations that it says they're found like in New Mexico. Oh, uh, it's very rare or extirpated in Nebraska, um, Kansas, Oklahoma. And then it's listed as noxious in states like Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Arkansas, Missouri, Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia. So, uh, and, and throw Connecticut in there too. Um, cool. So it has a pretty wide name range, and I could see why it would be listed as a noxious weed. Many other plants in that family are listed as noxious weeds. Yeah. But um, well, we could see just how it's like, yeah. even though it's native, we could see how it's multiplying. Oh, in our, yeah, in our pond. Yeah. So and then um, then the other thing, oh, where did it go? The other thing I was looking at was um, somehow I lost my my other page. Uh, looking at the Forager Chef's website, what I added and I forgot to put in there is. Uh, dock seed flour is uh, rich with a nutty flavor. Dock seed flour is something every forager should know about. Many will know dock as a cooked green, but its seeds and the papery husks that surround them are one of the best-known wildflowers available to foragers. So, uh, and Very that cool. that recipe was only published on June seventeenth, just a really? few days so ago. That, wow! And then it was modified um, yesterday. Very cool. Right. Yeah, yesterday. So. Yeah, very cool. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Like, I kind of saw what you had there, and I I saw your link for the Forger Chef. So I'm like, oh, I yep. want to know what yeah, you have to um, say about that. It's Curly Doc is the one he's really writing about, but he also talks about uh, Patient Stock and then Bitter Doc or Broadleaf Doc. Awesome, so. awesome, very cool. So I wouldn't say necessarily put both of these plants in your yard, but no uh, persimmon if you have the don't, right place. Yeah. Don't yeah. Put, don't put swamp dock in your yard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Unless, I don't know, maybe you have the ideal condition for yeah. it and you want to add it. But um, definitely know about it and, and follow up with us to find out where Tom goes with using that yeah. as a yeah. as a flower. So awesome. Uh, how about we get into a little bit of this or that? Oh, yes, please. 
So we have a winner. Yeah. Uh, I said yes, please, very cockily. Uh, if you <laughs> tell. And deservedly so, because Tom is the winner mightily, 19 to 7. Tom is back to his winning ways. So congratulations, and you get to pick if you want to go first or second. Um, I'll go... I'll go. Well, actually, I want to. I'm going to go second. Okay, but I'm going to talk about my article last week too because we had a really nice comment um, on our Facebook page oh, that awesome. I and, had pulled up and then I left. And as a reminder, my article was "What Is Weed," uh, and Tom's was about the Wood Wide Web, yes, which also, yeah. I guess, weird timing. Uh, in defense of plants, did an episode about yeah. the Wood Wide Web. Yeah, pretty much at the. It came out, I think. Around the same time as as our episode, yeah, yeah. Which I have not listened to that episode yet. I've been meaning to. There's a lot of really interesting posts uh, in defense of plants has had recently yeah. about a lot of native plants that I just haven't had the time to check out yet. Um, but it was uh, Stu, Sue Stutzman had a really nice note in there, and um, and maybe I'm too hard on the wood wide web, <laughs> but no, I I really appreciated her co- uh, her comment, and I think it's just. It's probably somewhere in between, and we did this. What she actually wrote in there was Dr. Jones saying the science is slow, uh, the story is really endearing, and kind of just got, from my perspective, got taken and picked yeah. up on and and misinterpreted. But um, yeah, it, it's really really cool what uh, trees and the mycorrhizal associations and all that can do. But uh, but we need to make sure we don't overstate things. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. I yeah, agree. But no, I really, I really article. appreciated her comment and, and her perspective on all of it. It was a fantastic article, and it deserved a win. And you did choose to go second, so I'm going to go first. Mine deals with plant, not necessarily native plants. It can like it's, but it was just something that I found fascinating and interesting, and hope that there's more research on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the name of my article is "Fungi and Plants Clean Up California Pollution," and it's by. Roman Fonsegrives, and this was on fizz.org. Uh, in an industrial wasteland in Los Angeles, Cray Hample is uprooting California buckwheat with a pitchfork to find out how much lead it has absorbed. The plant's delicate white and pink flowers uh, belie an astonishing clen- cleaning power, which scientists think could be harnessed to get rid of dangerous pollutants and even recycle them. That's the miracle of life, enthuses 68-year-old Hample, who is volunteering on the project. Plants really can do this work, and they know how to do it. They've done it so many times over millions of years, he says. The experiment is part of a project run by University of California Riverside, which has scattered carefully selected plants and fungi on this former industrial site in the hopes of getting rid of the heavy metals and petrochemicals that have contaminated the area for decades. Danielle Stevenson, who is leading the study, says such bioremediation techniques can be more, much more cost-effective than traditional techniques. The conventional method of cleaning up sites is just to dig up all the contaminated soil and dump it somewhere else, she told AFP. That approach doesn't actually solve the problem, right? It just moves it somewhere else, and she says it costs a lot of money. Stevenson's project, which is being carried out on three sites in and around Los Angeles, has a price tag of about $200,000 and so far is showing very promising results. In three months, we had a 50% reduction of the petrochemicals, and then in six months, we're getting pretty close to that level with some of the metals, she said. Stevenson, a mycologist by training, has chosen her anti-pollution weapons with care. Oyster mushrooms have been incorporated into the soil because of their natural role in decomposition. The underground part, called the mycelium, is sucking up diesel. Those same fungi 
that in nature would eat a dead tree will also recognize diesel oil, for example, as a food source. The reason is it's basically the same thing. A lot of our fossil fuels are just dead stuff that got compressed over long periods of time. Several California native plants, including the telegraph weed and the California uh, bush sunflower, are particularly good at, at absorbing heavy metals. Stevenson thinks of the plants essentially as solar-powered vacuum cleaners. They basically suck up all the metals like lead into their bodies. When we pull out the plants, we remove the lead from the soil. The lead and the other metals can then be recovered from those plants and even reused. Throughout the United States and in, uh, and the industrialized world, commercial sites that outlive their useful life to the companies that pollute them are often just abandoned, says Stevenson. The responsibility to put them right falls on poorly funded or ill-equipped local authorities who struggle to find the money or the expertise. Historically, the problem is worse in working class or ethnic minority neighborhoods where politicians feel more able to ignore the complaints. In the United States, where the EPA lists nearly 1,900 problem sites, only a small number of cleanup projects are carried out each year, Stevenson says. She hopes that a cheaper method will enable more sites to be cleaned. Advocates say bioremediation uses are not limited to fixing former industrial sites. The process can also be used to help clean up the toxins or uh, clean up the toxic ash left by some wildfires, an annual problem in the fire-prone California. So why is this technique still so underdeveloped? Bioremediation is still considered risky, explains Bill Mon, professor of microbiology at the University of British Columbia in Canada. Unlike soil excavation, it's hard to guarantee that you will systematically reach the level of pollutants that are required. Whereas we know that if you dig up the soil and you send it to somebody who will take it, if you pay them, then you've solved your problem. Stevenson, meanwhile, points to unhealthy prejudices about mushrooms. Think of the terrifying fungi that infect the zombies of the HBO smash series, The Last of Us. I get asked all the time, if you introduce a fungus to clean up a site, is it going to take over, eat our house, and take over the world, she says. It won't, she is quick to add. But that is why it's important to be conducting this kind of experiment in a real-world setting, not just in a laboratory. I think once we get more field tests of these methods, people will feel more confident choosing some of these approaches, she said. So we talk about phytoremediation all the time here, mm -hmm. and we know it's been used in wastewater, in sewage. We've seen it with cattails, with iris. We've seen birch and poplar do heavy yeah. metals. Yeah. Um, and I've always wondered why it doesn't get used more. Why isn't this an approach that that exactly – like I, I would have loved to say how they recover that material from the plants once they harvest the plants i, yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting mm -hmm. they're saying it can even be reused yep. um i know like some of the wastewater treatment they they harvest and then they incinerate mm -hmm. um and i don't know how that how that affects other things <laughs> yeah. yeah you know now you're just releasing it into the air i'm, I'm assuming but I, I i just thought it was really interesting that even mushroom uh will recognize diesel for what it is and mm -hmm. And absorb it. So it was just something that kind of caught me off guard that I thought was very cool that I know exists but not to this level. And I, I would love to know more or see see it used in larger cases just for for research. Yeah, I think it's becoming a more and more popular use. Um, I think the main the main I don't want to say pitfalls, but the main challenges are you need a lot of plants and you typically have a limited amount of space. Yeah. Um, and then two, it's some of the stuff just because it's absorbed by the plants doesn't necessarily make it go away. And then it's incinerated or I, I there's a, 
a story I told on here before where um, the plan was to uh, let this prairie pull the contaminants out of the soil and then they were going to burn it off. Yeah. And they're like, but we're testing the smoke to see if, is, are we just releasing this in the air? Is it in the ash? Is it actually in the roots of the plant, which is what we want? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it, because that was their big thing is they couldn't let it go to trees because they were worried the chemical was going to go into the leaves and then it was going to, the trees would drop their leaves and the leaves would run in the river and um, yeah, they didn't avoid the problem at all. Um, yeah, I think those are like the two big thing, like challenges is just now you have the plants, which can still work because now I can take them and put them in a place where I can handle that contamination. Yeah. If it's in the tops, I can harvest them and then we can kind of consolidate that. Um, and then the plants are still cleaning. But uh, Well, the, yeah. the other thing I was thinking about too, some of these contaminated sites are so bad that a lot of things won't grow. Mm-hmm. Or they get overrun with invasives, yep. and this is a way where you're actually providing maybe pollinator habitat yeah. or, or yeah. some other things, which which you might not normally get from mm-hmm. this kind of site, but it's performing an ecosystem yeah, function, definitely. which which I applaud. So I just, you know, it's I know they're still testing it. I love the thinking outside the box mm-hmm. as far as the testing goes, yeah. and I would love to see more in time. Yeah, exactly. So, no, good article, friend. And what do you have? So, mine week? is uh, is titled, it's funny because I actually find mine on the same website, but I end up using it from a different website. That yeah. It was published like five days earlier. Yeah. So, I, I think, usually give the ones that were published first. I think org really just culminates, like, yeah, it's like a, it, it, it just lists a bunch of... A, a bunch of them are like yeah. that. And it's um, mine I found on org, and then I ended up using the article that was on Science Daily, okay, um, gotcha. which does a similar thing, I think. And um, it was titled, Saving Moss May Be Just as Important as Saving the Bees. And uh, I'll read a little bit, then I'll give some of my thoughts. So, uh, nighttime pollinators such as moss may visit just as many plants as bees and should also be the focus of conservation uh, and protection efforts, a new study from the University of Sheffield suggests. The study found that moths under pressure from urbanization may also be less resilient than bees due to their more complex life cycles and more specific plant requirements. It also revealed that despite this uh, this threat, moths play a crucial role in supporting urban plant communities, accounting for a third of all pollination in flowering plants, crops, and trees. The researchers researchers suggest that when planning or redeveloping urban areas, supporting the introduction of plant species that are beneficial for moths as well as bees will become increasingly important for the health of urban ecosystems. Dr. Emil Ellis, lead author from the University of Sheffield's uh, Grantham Institute for Sustainable F- uh, Futures and now the Research Center for Ecological Change at the University of Helsinki, said, Our study found in, that in more urbanized areas, the diversity of pollen being carried by moss and bees decreases, meaning the urban pollinators may have less flower resources available to them. As moths and bees both rely on plants for survival, plant populations also rely on insects for pollination. Protecting urban green spaces and ensuring they are developed in such a way that moves beyond bee-only conservation but also supports a diverse array of wildlife will ensure both bees and moth populations remain resilient and our towns and cities remain healthier, greener places. In the study, Dr. Ellis and her co-authors showed that bees and moths are visiting significantly different plant communities. Along with the usual pale and fragrant flower species moths are known to frequent, the study showed that moths were found to be carrying more pollen than previously thought and visiting more types of tree and fruit crops than previously identified. In urbanized areas, 
There can sometimes be an overabundance of non-native plant species or just an overall reduction in the diversity of plant species. This may result in lower land or lower insect interactions for less attractive plant species, having negative effects on both plant and insect populations. Uh, Dr. Ellis says the research demonstrates just how crucial moths are at plant or pollinating plants, including crops, and that the study has implications for wildlife-friendly gardening initiatives, urban planners, and policymakers responsible for developing urban green spaces for parks and urban horticulture. Dr. Ellis said people don't generally appreciate moths, so they can often be overlooked compared to bees when talking about protection and conservation. But it's becoming apparent that there needs to be much more focused effort to raise awareness of the important role moths play in establishing healthy environments, especially as we know moth populations have drastically declined over the last 50 years. When planting green spaces, consideration needs to be given to ensure planting is diverse and moth-friendly, as well as bee-friendly to ensure both our plants and insects remain resilient in the face of climate crisis and further losses. Dr. Stuart Campbell from the University of Sheffield School of Biosciences and a senior author on the study said most plants depend on insects for pollination, but knowing which insects do the pollinating is actually a really difficult question to answer. There are about 250 species of bee in the UK, and we know quite a bit about some of those species. But we also have over 2,500 species of moths, which visit flowers mostly at night. So as you might expect, we know a lot less about these. What we're able to do in the study is use DNA sequencing to identify the pollen that gets stuck to the night-flying moths when they visit flowers. We found that moths are probably pollinating a range of plant species, many of them wild, uh, that are unlikely to be pollinated by bees, and vice versa. It is clear that this study that pollination is achieved by a complex network of insects and plants, and these networks may be delicate and sensitive to urbanization. We can also learn which plant species might be the best sources of food, uh, of food for different insects, including nocturnal ones like adult moths, and use the information to better provide for all of our pollinators. So, uh, I, that's a really interesting yeah, article. Oh, yeah. And uh, I would like to say that, I feel, is the most confident I've felt um, reading an article. I felt like I, I've only stumbled <laughs> like two or three times that I, that I noticed. I kind of blacked out there for a minute just because I was in such a groove reading. So. Before you knew it, you were done. It's like, <laughs> yeah. what, just, what just happened? But, yeah, no, it's um, it was a, just a fascinating article to me. And it's something we've talked about yeah. before is how – Moths are often the unsung heroes of of uh, of pollination, and um, they tend to get trashed a lot. <laughs> People don't like moths, and it's and a lot of it's because they don't see them or they aren't as showy. They're definitely not as showy as butterflies. You don't see them as often as bees. Yeah, um, they don't understand the benefits. Yeah. You don't think of them as much as a pollinator. Yeah, it's kind of again that that. Um, that like bullet hole plane theory where it's like the planes that come back and you see all the bullet holes and like, Oh, that's what we need to fix. But it's like, Oh no, you're, you're still missing all the things you don't see. And yeah. it's because this is happening at night. A lot of us don't see it and haven't noticed uh, a decline or an increase or, or what's going on with our moth populations. Now I will say this. I have at home probably at least once a weekend, um, you know, we for two years now we haven't raked our leaves uh, in the back, and our our backyard backs up to the woods. Last year there was a noticeable amount of lightning bugs, and I wanted to see if there would be an increased moth activity. So I've been pulling a light out just to see or turning the patio lights on. I have not seen a lot of moths. I haven't seen any lightning bugs, but I haven't seen a, such a small amount of moths. Um, and I just don't know if it's been too cool, like. I I know the nights here have been cool. We haven't really had any warm temperature. Like we're we're mm-hmm. sixty nine today, and yeah. where it's almost July, it's kind of yeah. crazy. 
But I notice locally for me at least I'm just not seeing the same amount. Now bird diversity has been phenomenal and maybe that's playing a part in it. Mm. Maybe they're eating all the caterpillars before they can turn to adults. You know, someone and someone just asked on our Instagram the other day if we had been noticing I guess they they started doing native plant pollinator yep. gardening uh, a handful of years ago and they were like, "Oh, it's, it just seems like they haven't come yet." And um and they were asking if we noticed that like a pollinator decline um, and when I saw that, I'm like, no, not at all. I feel like I'm seeing tons of, of pollinators, but it's probably similar to, I've, I use way too many analogies and I'm trying to stop, but I can't, I love them too much. Um, but it's similar to like, when you think about, uh, um, ocean waters warming, yeah. it's not just a blanket. Oh, the whole, the whole ocean went up, uh, one degree Celsius or whatever. It's you go to the port of Baltimore and it went up like three degrees Celsius. And then you have other places where it barely even has moved at all. And it's just the average ends up being one degree or whatever. Um, it's probably similar. You have these places where it's a lot more urban and you have yeah. way more impacts on uh, on the environment. That's where you're going to see your declines at a m- exponentially more rapid rate than where we yeah. are in a farming area that... Uh, we basically took a soybean field, uh, 30 acre soybean field, turned it into native plants. And like literally the next day you, it's just yeah. swarmed with all these and we're like, where the heck did all these come from? Um, so it's, they were there. Now they just have a way to have like really yeah. healthy, hopefully sustainable populations where we are. But you go to some of these other areas, it's, it's probably a lot less. Like we, we have been using the uh, Merlin mm-hmm. Bird ID app. Like in one day, like it, it basically in in the matter of twenty minutes in our backyard, identified twenty different yeah. bird species yeah. and some that I had never seen before in our area, like great, great crested flycatcher, um, eastern wood peewee. There was the rose breasted grosbeak, yellow belly mm. yellow belly chad chat. Yellow belly chat, like birds I'd never seen in the area. So the diversity is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering if we did such a good job creating habitat for Lepidoptera that that's what they're they're feeding. They're, the amount of nests in our yard and baby birds I'd never seen so many in such a small area. So it's it's very interesting. Yeah, it's um. Like nut hatches, woodpeckers, like everything. Like yeah, I don't. but it it could only be if you if the habitat was that great that all these birds came in, the bird population would then quickly dissipate. If, or if, if it if ran they, out, if it was yeah. really that that bad. Yeah, like they true. can just they physically can't eat themselves out of house and home without hurting themselves. Or we wouldn't have any birds so, left, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It's um. It's interesting. I, yeah. I I just love hearing that maybe moths are more important than we all recognize or th- yeah. thought. Yeah. So, and I'm just thinking as you're talking about birds, I'm like, oh, we sponsored the New Jersey Audubon World, World Series, Series of Birding Bird. Team, and I never heard how they did. I've, oh, I need follow yeah. up on that. I need to know if we're winners. Yeah. If we're, if we're <laughs> I back want to sponsor a winner. A winner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's awesome. That's well, awesome. But that's a fantastic yeah. article. I think again, two great articles. Um, 
Check them both out. We'll have them both posted by Monday on the Facebook group, and you can read both articles, no paywalls. Um, and then you'll get a chance to vote because and of course, the choice is yours. we have listener shout outs. Listener, listener, shout out. I'm going to go first time only because mine is really short and sweet. And okay. I know we actually had some right. five star reviews this, this week, so mm-hmm. you have some stuff to, to talk about. I just want to give a shout out and a thank you to Roots Redefined, who uh, mentioned us in her Facebook reel about native plants that she's using and how resilient they've been on her property in southern Florida and how hard it is to sometimes find native plants that can survive that weather. And she highlighted a few that have been doing very well for her. And then she gave a shout out to the podcast afterwards saying that, you know, thanking us for the information we give and kind of steering other people towards the podcast. So. We really appreciate it. We appreciate the good work that you're doing, spreading that message. Yeah, and and I have three five star reviews to shout out. That's wonderful. I love so, that. Uh, the first one was from B Hammy eighty five, who I thought I had given a review, but if they didn't, I'm, they updated it. So uh, maybe they updated it. Maybe it's new. I don't really know. But um, <laughs> but they uh, are in the the Virginia Master Naturalist or a Virginia Master Naturalist told them about our podcast, and uh, now they've uh, listened to. All our episodes and are lost to what what to listen to when gardening and um, and loves recommending our podcast to other eco nerds, which awesome. is very very flattering. And then we also had uh, this one. This one I really loved was from Tracy Shackelford um, because she left the review after <laughs> after she learned that she's not alone in the intense disgust that arises as she walks or drives through traditional landscape neighborhoods. <laughs> and that one is like, oh yeah, that's me. Yeah. I get so angry. And uh, and my brother gets even worse than I am. Like I, we put up a, I'm, I edited the video of uh, that's on our our Instagram and our TikTok um, of him uh, talking about Bradford pears. And I always give him the instructions. I'm like, keep it under sixty seconds because then I can do the free Facebook um, uh, captioning or closed captioning, and then we can also put it on YouTube Reels. And uh, then he he made all this video. He made like three videos. That in total were about like ten minutes long, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to turn this into sixty seconds. So that's why it's a little choppy, yeah. but I think it gets the point across. Yeah. But so much of his video is he's driving through this neighborhood, like literally driving and recording, which I also yeah. told him don't do. Yeah, that's not a good was, idea. <laughs> now he's in a like a little cul-de-sac where listen, no one's out in their yards listen, in the middle you, of the day. You and I have both um, driven with your brother. Oh yeah, yeah. Not a good idea for yeah. him to be doing that. No, no. <laughs> well, he was going very slow. Okay, and he's like. <laughs> he's like pointing at the page. There's cameras shaking all over, and he's just like, "This is one of the videos he sent me to edit." And he's just like, "Look at these effing things! <laughs> I can't believe anyone's planning them." It's like just, it's just like an angry ramble <laughs> on and on. And I'm like, "I can't use this at all. This well, is this I, isn't going to make the video." I, I he was, asked me about it too. He's like, "How come you didn't put that in the video?" And I'm like, "Because it just didn't. It didn't. It didn't work." I it's, I have a video. I was going to post it. It's it's a real. But and it's funny, like you talk about disgust. Agatha, my wife, is the one that pointed it out to me. We were walking through our development, going for an evening walk, and someone in our development planted a Leland cypress literally two feet from their front door and from their house. It's like their door is here. They planted it along the house right next to the door and the front step. And she's like, do you think you should go up to the – because they just planted it. She's like, do you think you should go up? And knock on the door and tell them that that tree yeah. is going to get sixty foot tall. Yeah, 
And I'm like, no, because it will be out before it gets ten foot tall. Like yeah. they'll they'll have to rip it out. And I'm like, I don't want to be the the plant police. It would be yeah. a kind thing to say if I knew them and yeah. I, they were outside. And I'm like, hey, just so you know. Yeah. Uh, but it was. Uh, I'm sure they're proud of the planting they did, and that and I feel guilty posting it. Like I yeah. was going to post just uh, uh, a video of of the tree in front of the house, mm-hmm. and then post a picture of what how big. Yeah, what that tree looks like mature. It's just like I, I can't tell you how many houses I walk by where there's a weeping cherry three feet from the corner of the house. Yeah, you know, and it's like ah, they, did, you know, and you could tell it was done by a professional. Have Have you next time you go down Mount Pleasant Road, Fran, coming coming towards the nursery? Okay, yeah. There's the houses on if you're if you're coming towards the nursery, yeah. like the last two houses on the left before you hit yeah. the Island Road intersection. Yeah. The first house you hit on the left, on that side, they planted. So I don't even know what kind of tree it is, right. but it's just this giant tree, and it's right up against the foundation of the uh, house. And I'm like, ew, I wonder when they're going to take that. It's like taller than the house now. Wow. And I'm like, I can't believe they're not having any damage to their foundation yeah. yet. Yeah. And I definitely can't believe they're taking. They haven't taken it down yet. But um, yeah, it's just I I giggle a little bit every time I walk by or, or drive by, I should say. But um, well, I was even thinking like the the Leyland cypress, like you think that is a little more shallow rooted and has a tendency yeah. to blow over in the wind. Like, what kind of damage is that going to do if it roots in and then blows over? Yeah, and it's that close yeah. to the house. But, but uh, like, it can't get that big because of the overhang. Yeah, but yeah, p- posting pictures of other people's gardens of like what not to do is it's like tricky. it's a very touchy subject, and that's the only reason I haven't done it because I'm like that's unfair. Yeah, like that's unfair. I, if of I me was to do gonna that. do it. I would go to a completely different town, maybe in a completely different state. Yeah. And just be like, I don't know any of these people. But even then, you got to make sure you're not getting it, you uh, know what? If, mailboxes if and you were house numbers and all that kind of stuff. Do it at a strip but, mall. I yeah. would feel okay doing that. Yeah. Like if or maybe if – I don't know if – I don't know if it's better to do it in front of strangers' houses or neighbors' houses because at least you know the people. I'd be like, yeah, I think what you did was really dumb. <laughs> 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 I'd, I would say it to your face, too. They're like, I don't know if it's better or worse to strangers. I saw an interaction. Um, I didn't see the whole thing. But uh, but there was another Instagram account, and they must have done that yeah. to someone's. Um, so I, from what I gathered, someone painted. I think I think the guy actually listens to the podcast. Okay. Um, I think someone painted. Like, they had shrubs that, like, died or didn't look good, and they, like, spray painted them green. Oh, <laughs> and he like, took a picture and said, "This looks ridiculous." It was, uh, it was something along those lines, and then they wrote back and like had like a kind of quasi nasty message wow. for him um, about about what happened. But uh, wow. like, yeah, it's always a little touchy, but probably probably not the right thing to do to yeah. paint, paint your bushes if uh, if they turn off color. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I can't There's even. a lot of people who are like painting random things, like painting their mulch. It's like, oh, don't buy new mulch. Just buy this, the dye, just buy the dye and spray it over your old mulch. Oh, and I'm like, what happens when the wind blows? Yeah. And it kind of flips some stuff around. <laughs> or like, or an animal gets in there and flips yeah. a whole bunch of stuff around. Exactly. Or you walk through it and a bunch of it flips over. Now you have the dyed side down and the, some oh, leaf side is up. And like and two, what what's in that stuff? That yeah, you're putting down. 
I'm yeah. I'm not I don't think I'm gonna post the photo. I, I want to, but yeah. it's I'm like I I just don't think it's fair. And that's what we were talking about in that or what I was talking about in that instance is how angry I was at the neighborhood across the street from my house, just like walking through with the mulch volcanoes and like the the seashell cut um arborvites and just like the crazy stuff you see. And uh and I was just I kinda did the same thing. I'm like, I'm not gonna post this. It was good for me to record and like be angry about yeah. at the time, but I don't think it's the right thing for me to post. No, and I appreciate that Agatha wanted me to just go up and talk to them and just say, hey, just so you know. And I'm like, you know, someone picked that out because they liked it. Yep. They planted it. They made the choice. I don't want to be that person. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't want to be that person. If I knew them, I would mention it, but I don't know yeah. them. And we did have an, another five-star review, by the way, on Spotify. And um, awesome. But you can't leave a little write-up with that. But they wrote in to us to let us know that that they wrote in or that they left the five star review, um, and just wanted to give us some kudos. And uh, they have their own uh, native plant nursery um, that they're pretty new to, but uh, and they said they like the chatting. So hopefully you I, liked what we just are. We've been I, very chatty this episode. I will say this: I just noted this, noticed this on Spotify. So you can give a review, or you can give a star, like five stars, yeah. but you can't comment. But they did just add where you can interact with the podcast, and it mm. you can create a question for each episode, and it auto-generates one if you don't do it. And it was like, what do you think of this episode? And I noticed – the only reason I noticed it was because someone replied. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be mentioned during this segment and you just respond to the question of the episode that says, how was this episode? We can mention you as far as yeah. you know, review because yeah. you're you're kind of speaking out and you're interacting with us in a different way. So if you do that, we would be happy to mention it on the podcast. Yeah, so. yeah no, that sounds good to me. Awesome, awesome. So I love that we had a lot to talk about for mm-hmm. the reviews. Oh yeah, I'm excited because I'm always curious when you do these, and you have a grow read a book for us this week. Grow read a book. All right. What do you got? Yeah, so um, it was Memorial Day weekend. I was doing a whole bunch of yard work, getting ready for my son's birthday party. And um, and I just downloaded a whole bunch of audiobooks on the Libby app for me to listen to. And one of them was my last reviewed book, which was what was it, The Feather Thief, right? Yeah. yeah. And it was by uh, Kirk Wallace Johnson. And when I got done that one, I was like, that was really good. I wonder if he's written anything else that's on the Libby app. And I found, and I alluded this last time, he wrote a book called The Fisherman and the Dragon, and which also has an environmental spin. All right, awesome. And I hope that's just something this author does, because yeah. then I, I really enjoyed both books. Um, this book was, uh, again, a, a, uh, a documentary in book form, <laughs> or also known as a nonfiction book. And... <laughs> and, and um, but it was like a, a snippet of time back in like the, I think, 70s and early 80s, um, right around the conclusion of the Vietnam War. You had a lot of Vietnamese immigrants that were coming to the United States, and a bunch of them settled in Texas, uh, specifically like the coastal Texas. And uh, they slowly started getting into the fishing business. And uh, they started out with like the lower level fisheries, like like crabbing, and eventually it moved all the way up the chain to some bigger fisheries, and then shrimping, which I think was one of the biggest fishing fishing industries down there. And the locals 
really didn't like it. Um, so, and there was a, a series of, of hate crimes and fights. There was a murder that took place that's profiled in the book. Um, and again, you're, you're reading a book about it, but it seemed like you had a guy who was a local and I'm doing air quotes here because he, in the book, they're saying he really only moved there within like the last 10 years with his family, but he was, uh, in, in this case, he was a, a white person a white fisherman, and he was confronting these Vietnamese guys saying, oh, I'm not letting you come in my waters, and I'm not letting you buy uh, other fishermen's boats around here. And um, and then he was attacking some of these Vietnamese guys and then got shot, like, oh. in the scuffle. Wow. Um, and, and died. And so then it was tried as a murder trial, and the two Vietnamese guys who were involved ended up being not guilty. They, it was one of those situations where they actually moved the trial to a different town wow. that wasn't on the coast because they didn't think they could get a fair trial a partial, in yeah, their impartial. in their uh, their actual town or county because people were just so uh, there's so much uh, hatred towards these Vietnamese fishermen because they were new and they were it felt like they were infringing on the the locals' um, uh, rights as fishermen. Yeah. Um, some of that was because the fishery at that point in time was going way downhill. And um, and that was – there was really like two stories in this yeah. book. The only complaint I had is I wish they were woven together a little bit more. And it's – again, it's it's a historical account, so it's hard to really do that. But it just yeah. seemed like – it's it seemed like that never was resolved. Yeah. That um, that there was never – and maybe, maybe it's because it wasn't. There was never the realization that – our fisheries are in decline because of a different cause, not the the racial tensions. Yeah. And it's not the Vietnamese coming in here and overfishing that's causing our fisheries to decline. It's the pollution that's happening from all this heavy industry that was moving into that area yeah. upstream and then polluting. And they were finding like deformed fish and, and uh, mutated fish and, and wow. or fish kind of species, shellfish, that kind of stuff too. Um, I know that one of the things was like a PVC plant that came in. And even though there was like basically some of what they were writing about, even though there were like safety checks and there was the Clean Water Act, there was a lot of bribing going on to get through a lot of this stuff so they could dump more pollutants into the river or some of their wastes into the river and get away with it. Um, There's a lot of bribes going on to develop uh, these plants there in the first place. Wow. And where they did tie the two stories together, so you had the like again the Vietnamese immigrants who were experiencing hate yeah. uh, hate crimes, and um, and uh, then the the heavy industry that was kind of getting off scot free is they kind of tied as the the local fishermen needed to take out their anger somewhere, and it was a lot easier to take it off or take it out on these foreigners that they didn't know. Yeah. Versus the companies that, that they some probably of them maybe knew or worked for, possibly. that they yeah. worked for or had family worker members work for that were kind of keeping these towns afloat. Yeah. The fishing really died out in a sense. Um, and it was just a lot easier to point out, hey, it's these Vietnamese that are coming over here. Uh, stealing all the fish. Stealing all the fish. Not, hey, my, my brother works at the PVC plant upriver, yeah. and that's where all the money in this town is coming from. Um, like there was even a situation where they there's one woman in the story who's fighting uh, some of this for clean water, basically. 
um, got a, a high-end lawyer to come on like pro bono and and eventually that lawyer ends up getting paid off and like put on the board of one oh, of these wow. these um these uh, uh polluting uh corporations it was just a a really fascinating story and then oh then the big thing that was happening like i said there was a lot of these hate crimes going on it's because the texas kkk got involved oh and was coming down and um and like burning crosses and burning boats oh. and like like chasing basically chasing a lot of the Vietnamese out of town uh wow. during all this too. And it goes into the trials of that too and and um some of the other pro bono work that happened there. So you had these really like two way different stories going on at the same time in the same place in the country. Um it was they were talking about like two or three different towns. Wow. Um on the same fishery uh at the same time. And uh yeah that that was the only thing I wish happened is they kind of tied them in together but i don't think there i really don't think there was a happy ending it was uh the guy from the the kkk either i can't remember if he he ran the fleet or fled the country or if he actually ended up going to jail i think he went to jail um and a bunch of other people went to jail or pled if you're a kkk Uh, what country do you flee to (laughs) that's (laughs) point (laughs) friend Really like, good you're point. gonna flee the country. That's, where where are you going? You have, yeah, I'm going you there. Have limited options, <laughs> I suppose. Um, but yeah, it was it was so there was like some really disturbing parts of the book. Yeah. Um, like they basically there was an account of um, of some of the local fishermen went and burned or lit one of the Vietnamese boats on fire. Wow! And then during like the first KKK rally that was uh, in in that town um they brought in a like a scrap boat and parked it near their rally and then lit it on fire and said if someone in the ku klux klan lights your boat on fire it's going to be burned all the way to the water line not like those hacks that burned up the other boat where it didn't go to the water line they were trying to insinuate that the vietnamese burned their own boats Boats. to pin it and say oh look at these the the white people are doing to us um and but it was like a big display of like power and wow and you had to like uh, from what they were saying like local police from a Vietnamese standpoint you didn't know if you could trust them or not because yeah. not only could they be a, a affiliated with the KKK they could have a brother a brother in law some kind of relationship to the KKK yeah. just uh, again it has an environmental twist it has a lot of like um like there's the, a whole uh, Vietnam, uh, Vietnam War, and then Vietnamese angle and things. Um, Would you recommend it? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It was it was a really just like easy to listen to book that kind of accounts something that I don't, I don't know. I was born in nineteen eighty nine, so it was like at least ten years after a lot of this yeah. stuff happened. Um, so I don't recall ever hearing about this. It wasn't something I remember being taught in history I, class, but it seems like a pretty monumental event. I at a time in the country's history where i would have been alive during that so i can't say that i ever remember hearing about it like Mm -hmm. this is all new to me so so interesting very cool i i appreciate when you do grow read a book because you're doing the reading for me yeah i I can't seem to take to get to it so i appreciate that i'm so fran and i both are going on vacation next month so if you have any recommendations uh send them our ways or send them uh, definitely my way uh, there's a couple that are on my list, some that I have to either find or, or find a way to get. Uh, 
Deborah Rosenthal actually gave me a recommendation Good. to take on vacation. I'll share it with you. All right. The name cool. of the book, and it may be something you've read already. Uh, Wildscape, Trilling Chipmunks, Beckoning Blooms, Salty Butterflies, nice. and Other Sensory Wonders of Nature by Nancy Lawson, author of The Humane okay. Gardener. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know or I know of Nancy. Yeah. I don't know her personally. Yeah, She but. said that it, I'll love it, Yeah, and it will change the way I – Think about a lot of things. Yeah, so. there's a, a book I just heard about the other day that I'm probably going to buy called Woodwise, like Wood okay. W O O D, and then okay. Wise being W H Y S. Okay, the guy my, Michael Snyder. He was just on the Meteor podcast, and he was just an, he was a forester, and he's just answering all these tree questions. Very but cool. just the tone of the conversation was very much up my alley. With uh, yeah. you could tell he knows a lot of the same things we know that there's too many invasive <laughs> plant species and there's not enough native species. We're getting rid of too much habitat. It's wreaking havoc on all these other things. Um, so it's someone that. I've I actually reached out to. His, his Instagram account hasn't posted anything in like three yeah. years. Oh, okay. But I'm like, oh, I don't, I can't find any of the contact info. So I guess I'll write to him there. Yeah. And uh, so I'm trying to track him. Hopefully down. he checks it. Yeah. But it sounds like a story we've heard before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was, he had, he answered a lot of really interesting tree questions. Like, right, cool. like one of one, um, that I just remembering just now was talking about um, talking about like uh, your birches, especially like yeah. paper birch, and why the bark is white. Oh, okay. And uh, basically, what he said and what a lot of people theorized was a lot of those live in colder climates, and you don't want. You say it was a blackish or yeah. darker bark. The sun, it's okay. Got it up would... to thirty two. The sun's hitting out of your tr- yeah. the bark is. Creating this more sense. heat and the cells are going to become active. And then all of a sudden the next day it drops down to negative 10. You just kill the whole lot yeah. of plant cells. So if you have white, it's reflecting a lot of that that solar energy away, not accepting it, keeping it colder, and not allowing the tree to become active and then having that crash. In Makes perfect sense. So, yeah. And then he also said there's a lot of things that he's like, yeah, we want to think that everything that is out there has a reason. But there's a lot of things that just kind of. It just are. <laughs> this is kind of how it is. It's like, it's, is there a reason that it's that color? Or is it just that it was developed for something else? And that was just the byproduct of that. So Very like, cool. yeah, there's a lot of things we just don't know. And maybe it's not as in, intelligent of a design as we think. So. <laughs> awesome. So for the sake of time, I'm going to yeah. kick in to take it or leave it. It's not a clear cut this or that. I came across a PDF the other day while looking mm-hmm. for my native plant article. Thought it was interesting. That the title sucked me in. Yes. I'm going to read it. It's just a little over a page. I want to see if you take or leaf what this paper proposes. So the the name of the paper is The Myth of Native Plant Superiority. This is by Linda Chalker Scott, PhD, Extension Horticulturalist and Associate Professor at Pulliup Research and Extension Center in Washington State University. Um Always choose native pl- – in quotes, always choose native plants for environmentally sustainable landscaping, end quote. The myth. In recent years, people have become more interested in native plants and landscapes as natural ecosystems continue to shrink. This admirable dedication to our natural world heritage has manifested itself in native gardens springing up in every place imaginable. Yet at the same time, I see more of these native gardens suffering from disease, pests, and general decline. What's happening? Aren't native plants supposed to be resistant to local pathogens and parasites? The reality, there are some urban areas where many native plants just do not survive or do so only with substantial maintenance. 
Such areas can include parking strips, traffic circles, and parking lots. In short, areas with limited soil area and lots of environmental stress consider the realities of these landscapes. Discontinuous dissimilar layers of topsoils and subsoils with poor drainage and aeration, significant compaction and other physical disturbances as a result of animal, pedestrian, or vehicular traffic, alkaline pH due to leaching of lime from concrete, inadequate or improper fertilization application, lack of mulch or other soil protection, lack of adequate water in summer months, increased heat load from asphalt, reflectance, and air pollution. Many of the trees and shrubs native to our region evolved in thin, acidic soils with adequate moisture to maintain soil and plant water status. When these species are installed in urban landscapes with significantly different soil and water characteristics, they are challenged by a new set of environmental circumstances. As landscape plantings begin to suffer from multiple stresses, they become prone to invasion from opportunistic insects, bacteria, and fungi. Stress can weaken a plant's natural resistance to local pests, witness the recent decline in our native Arbutus menziesii, mandrone populations. Another example of the failure of native trees to survive in urban sites come from Palm Desert, California. Many of the parking lots there were planted in native mesquite. Mesquite survives in its arid environment by developing both a deep taproot and extensive shallow root system. When planted into a very limited soil space, typical of parking lot uh, tree wells, these trees often tilt or topple as a result of insufficient lateral root development. The city of Palm Desert has recently looked to non-native tree species, including ash, to replace mesquite in these settings. The bottom line, native temperate forest plants are excellent choices for unrestricted sites with acidic, well-drained soils. For sites with limited alkaline or poorly drained soils, choose species adapted to environments with similar soils. Consider especially those species that tolerate clay soils. For sites exposed to increased heat load, choose species adapted to hot, dry climates that can also uh, tolerate cool, wet winters. Instead of installing large trees into limited sites, consider smaller trees or shrubs that can be arborized. Be sure to protect soils with mulch, especially where foot traffic causes compaction. And site consideration should always dictate plant selection. What do you think? Um, so it's – I think there's a lot of valid points. I do. I also think this argument comes up fairly often as an excuse to not – think outside the box i i feel that a lot of, in my opinion a lot of it's misdirected yes. because we always preach yeah. right plant right place maybe yeah. that was the wrong native plant yeah for the area and there was a better suited native plant exactly. I, I don't agree with with using mulch and maybe in that area of the country it's a different mm-hmm. different scenario but i feel you're just saying this native like all right they chose a big tree that topples instead of a small tree like a lot of the the points that are listed at the end, you could easily find native plants to mm-hmm. fit that. And yeah. I don't feel – and we've talked about this. I know urban sites, you're creating an unnatural condition. I know you're creating mm-hmm. yep. places that aren't natural and maybe the air pollutants, native plants won't exist there because it's they haven't adapted mm-hmm. to that. I I definitely understand that and agree with that to a certain extent. But I kind of feel like, ah, the native plant didn't work. Native plants aren't superior. You can't yeah. use that. I yeah. kind of feel like for someone with a PhD, that was kind of like yeah. a generalized. And, and again, I'm not, I haven't done any of this stuff, so I don't know for for certain. But it's I agree with you that it's maybe that just wasn't the right one. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of a like I was saying. I hear this often as a an excuse to not, and it tends to just be very short sighted. Yeah. It's like, oh, you just don't get the whole picture yet. 
where it's not native. They're looking at and saying, oh, well, we need we need a, a tree here to create shade. So we have a native option or a non-native option. And that's the only quality they're looking for in that tree yeah. is it needs to create shade. They aren't weighing in the, the pollinator benefit or the bird yeah. benefit or any other ecosystem benefit that comes along with that plant. They're just looking at it from, I need shade here. What's the best thing to do that? Which is fine, but that's not and, – and maybe that's all we need to measure in some of these scenarios. But I, that's I, not – when they look at, oh, uh, the native plant superiority myth is what they wrote. It's like, yeah, is the, the, is the native plant superior in creating shade in that spot? I guess not. But you're – missing all these other valuable traits that might happen listen did did perhaps the landscape architect that specified the plants specify the wrong plant we did the landscape professional that maybe was in charge install it properly we just talked we just talked about i've seen plenty of non-native plantings fail we just talked about uh cherry trees off the corner of a house you know three feet or a leyland cypress planted right next to a door Mm mm-hmm there's plenty of these mishaps that go on all the time. They're yep. not even native plants. They're non-native. It's yep. You have to make sure there's plenty of people in this industry. There's not necessarily – not every landscape architect has to take a rigorous plant yeah. plant course yep. or they don't know every plant. They're not always going to yeah. nail it. Some are better than others. Mm-hmm. Some are way better than, than others. So you always have in any industry – People yeah. that are more qualified to do their job than others. There was same a, with landscape professionals, and you a, can't let the the bad drag down the good. Yeah, yeah. There is some market. Re- I just look talking about landscape architects, and I know there's some landscape architects that listen to this. You're not the ones I'm talking about. Yeah, but there's market research I got as a, a nursery professional five six years ago now, and it was talking about how many what percentage of landscape architects are confidently know their plant material, yeah. and it was less than thirty percent. And I get it because you have to figure out what what is going to be my hardscaping, what yeah. like what are my trash cans going like, to look yeah, like? Yeah, I was just what is say. my bench going to look like? There's so many, and where are they going to go? There's so many other tangible things that go into this, and then it's like, okay, now I also have to factor in plant material, which is a lot more difficult than I, than your park bench. I work in a native plant nursery. I'm not confident. Yeah, yeah. So I understand. I get it. Yeah. There's a lot of factors. Um, I just feel that that paper was more of an opinion piece than it was actually a factual yeah. document, and it was – that's the kind of stuff that I hate hitting Yeah, the public yeah. going, oh, yeah, see those native plants, they don't work. Yep. Go back to barberry. Yep. We're going to go back to doing what we do, mm-hmm. and it's – Yeah. Like I said, I think it's just – it's. I don't want to – short sight is not the right word. It's shallow sighted. Is that a thing? Yeah, sure. It's just like it's very shallow. It's looking at this issue at a – face value and not looking at the depth of that comes with a native plant versus a non-native plant. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, and I agree that you can, if you gave me 10 situations, there's going to be at least one where a non-native plant, when you factor in everything is the right choice. Yeah, I agree. I guarantee that would be the case at least one instance, but you have a lot of people who would try and say, Oh yeah, it's 10 out of 10 or nine out of 10. Mm -hmm. And that's – I don't buy that. Yeah. I think that's just – it's people looking at it way too shallow. They aren't looking at the whole picture, um, and it's hard to do. It's I didn't look at the whole picture for a long time. Sometimes the right choice isn't the easiest path to take. Yep. 
and you have to do a little bit of work to it mm-hmm. to to get it done. Like yep. I, I I totally get that, but yeah. I I don't know what the answer is on that. So I'm I'm going I'm going to summarize and say I leave it. Oh, I'm not taking yeah. this article. Yeah. I'm not taking it for the value. I yeah. kind of say take it back, do a little bit more research, yep. form that yep. a little bit better. I don't know what all the answers are for some of this, but I I know I don't agree yeah. 100%. Even though there were some valid points. Yeah. So. So, um I agree with you, friend. I'm leaving right. it too. All right. Well, awesome. Yeah, so that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. Uh, thank you to RJ Comer for our buzz theme music. As always, we it wouldn't be the buzz without that. Um, you can listen or stream RJ's music on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you consume your music. Make sure you check out his Americana playlist on Pandora. You'll appreciate them. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, also YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, Instagram also, actually, I, I apologize. Uh, Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet is the podcast, uh, but you can check out both. Yep. Don't forget about the question and comment line two one five three four six six one eight nine. You can ask a question or leave a comment. If we pick your question or comment, we will uh, do our best to play it on a future episode of the Buzz. And let's not forget about the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. I think we're up to like 1,800 members, yeah. which is pretty oh, yeah. awesome. And uh, the but it's not all of you. It's there's not more all. out there. There's, we know more people listen than join but, the Facebook but group. But there's a lot of people on Facebook. Now. Yeah. Our, our new intern doesn't have Facebook. What? She's 19. And then she's like, I have Instagram, but I don't have Facebook. I'm like, yeah, I guess, my, I guess that's the thing. Now. My 23-year-old has a Facebook account but hasn't used it in probably five yeah. years. Yeah. So he uses good Instagram. For, good for them. Yeah. That's, yeah. But it's inter- it's not like social media. He's devoid of social media. Yeah, it's yeah. just different yeah. different avenues. Yep. It's TikTok and and Instagram. Mm-hmm. So, yep. but so I threw you off. Were you done? No, I was done. You were done. Okay. Yeah. So you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. I have gotten really good at saying that. You have. It's uh, remember how we used to get all mixed w- up. W- w- yeah. We w- were, w- did w- I w- say four Ws or two? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and uh, there's a link right at the top, take to your Teespring store. Uh, I have not got a chance to sit down and finalize some of these other these other uh, designs that I have coming along. But when's when? We'll get on We do have a, a, someone who came from the fashion industry who works here now. Yeah. So I could ask them, when do the seasons usually start? Like, <laughs> how do I make sure our designs are up there for the next fashion season? <laughs> Check out the fall line of yeah. <laughs> I love it. autumnal colors. We could do a little <laughs> runway walk. Yeah. Like have it be like a uh, uh, like a path in a park, yeah. like through the woods. Yeah, a little runway. Do you know path. your your color palette. I'm a I'm a soft winter. I don't know my. I actually color don't palette. remember. I remember my wife told me at one point. Because yeah, I guess I'm, you can take a picture of your face, and there was an app ooh. that told you what your color palettes were. I and, tend to uh, wear a lot of blues yeah. and blacks. Now yeah. that's because I'm colorblind. And that's what appeals to me. Yep. But and you don't know which one's which on a given day. I know no. black <laughs> black from blue. But you want to start throwing green and browns in <laughs> yeah. there and some reds, then yeah, all bets yeah. are off. Yeah. But so, then uh, you can uh, listen to our podcast wherever you're listening now. That's where that's where you can that's hear That's a good us. start. Um, but you can also hear us on uh, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, really wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, if you can, especially on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Leave a review. That goes a, such a long way. Um, 
That's why I incentivize it so much. Leave a review, and I'll give you a shout-out because uh, that's just what uh, what really appeases the Apple overlords into promoting our podcast and driving us up charts so then more people see us when we're higher on the chart, and then you get more listens, and then you get more reviews. It's a big self, self-fulfilling self circle. I so. actually just went through on in the show notes, realized that I wasn't really doing a good job with the show notes for most part. Like you can get the number to, to mm-hmm. call the question and comment line. You can um, you can b- go to the merchandise store. I didn't have links to – like on the website itself, you could get links to all of our social media, uh-huh. but not in the show notes. Uh, like they didn't have a link to the Facebook group. So I actually went through into yeah. all the episodes and put follow Native Plants oh. Healthy Planet and added the Facebook group, That's added Instagram. Idea. That hadn't been there in 163 We've learned three a lot episodes. over three years. So three <laughs> years and change now. I just realized – and you know, it took our last episode where have we, we had – been doing this for three years? Over three years. Or have we – are we on year three? We, we have okay. celebrated – in yeah. February, we celebrated our three-year okay. anniversary. Yeah. All right. So, but having other podcast guests on and going to their show notes for for link information, I mm-hmm. realized, oh, we should probably be doing this. Yeah. Like we're making it, it very easy. difficult yeah, for, people for people to follow us. So I went through all ep- all the episodes and added it. In. And have you seen that there's been a rise in people joining? Now no. Oh, okay. No, but hopefully moving forward as new yeah. episodes come out and they yep. read the show. I, you know what? Do you read show notes? Ours? Yeah. Or No. Just yeah, in the podcast. That, you well, to. not really. Either do I. I read them when I'm. I read them when I selfishly is like, that's a cool guest. I'm going to invite them on our podcast. <laughs> Find out their information or the book title yeah. or, or that kind of stuff. So, so go to the, go to the yeah. show notes wherever you're listening. And we've included a lot more information yep, where you yep. can find everything you're looking yep. for. We're not going to make you search for it. So anymore. is that is that your secret? It's not my secret. Actually, I was going to share a story that I didn't share with you. I don't even uh-huh. think I sh- I'm if I shared it in the office, but. We're having a uh, a stamped concrete patio put in our backyard, yep, yep. and kind of purposefully, I don't know if I'd admit it, but it encompasses an area where there are five plants that are invasive in the yard okay. that that my wife is fond of because they flower, and we've seen hummingbirds on. It's three uh, Rugosa Rose and two mm-hmm. Rosa Sharon yep. um, that I know are causing a problem because they pop up all over, yeah. um, but. There's definitely wildlife. They they were providing shelter and yeah. and nectar. So um, those five plants have to come out in sake of the the stamped concrete patio. So yeah. I I went out two weekends ago and started cutting them back. And uh, Agatha came out to help me. And the first rows I cut down, which they were probably like six foot tall. I cut it down and she grabbed the branches and pulled it away. And when she came back, she's like, what's this? Oh, no. I was like, what? Well, there was a cardinal nest. Okay. And there were hatchlings in the nest. Yeah. And then the hatchlings were now on the ground. So it was two hatchlings. Yeah. Um, the nest was in the middle of the rose bush. And we freaked out. We're like, oh, no, what do you do? Because you have these, these yeah. hatchlings. Oh, yeah. You know, one was, you know, mouth up to the sky, feed me, feed mm. me. And both alive. Yep. And uh, I was – you know, you start knowing the myths like should I touch them? Like mm-hmm. am I supposed to touch them? I was wearing gloves and Agatha went to the Cornell bird site and was like, all right, handling them is a myth. Yeah. You know, the the parents won't – won't The birds uh, can't smell. Yeah, the birds won't re- – the parents won't reject them if they're touched. Um, but you have to try not to mess with the nest too many times over time. Yeah. So – 
The problem was the nest was in a rose bush, yeah. and I couldn't get it out without damaging the bottom of the nest. So mm-hmm. I got the nest out. It was compromised. And I'm like, what do we do? The birds are freaking out. Both parents of the birds are freaking yeah. out. So right next to it hanging was the potted strawberry plant that your dad had yeah, given yeah. us. So I put the plant on the ground, put the nest in it, picked up each bird, and put yep. them in the nest, and then I hung it back up. Even though it was only three feet away, the parents couldn't find – they kept mm-hmm. going to the place where the birds were, yeah, yeah. and they couldn't find the nest because the uh, birds weren't really saying anything at that point, yeah. three feet away. So I put it back on the ground, let them console their young, and then we lifted it and put it in a juniper just straight up. Yeah. It was yep. kind of right there. We had junipers virginiana, mm-hmm. so that way it could be protected. And the parent, the amazing thing was, as the parents fed them, like the male mm-hmm. kind of stood watch. Other birds in the area came to stand watch. Like if the father went to go, mm-hmm. go get food, a robin stood watch. And if the robin was feeding its like a house yeah. wren, like all the other birds, kind of like chipped in to kind of like. Protect the area, which was interesting because we've had red-tailed hawks picking off oh, birds yeah, yeah. in the backyard. They all kind of chipped in as a community, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. I actually yeah. saw the robin do that. We talked about the kill deer doing the broken wing. Yeah. The robin was doing the broken wing, huh. like trying to get people like yeah, yeah. away from the nest, which I'd never seen a robin do that. Yeah. Um, but a week later, the the birds were gone. So I hope that's. You know, we could hear them chirping because it was right outside our bedroom yeah, window. Yeah. So we know that they were up, you know, Friday night, we could still hear the birds chirping. And Saturday, no birds. Mm-hmm. So I th- I'm i hoping that's that means yeah. that was success. Yeah, it was a happy ending. and Yeah. And after that, we didn't touch it. We didn't go near it. Like we didn't want to mess yep. it and have the parents abandoned yeah, because yeah. they felt like the nest was compromised. Yeah. But even though I thought I was doing something good, removing invasives – I didn't think to even look for a nest. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see it. Like even even had I looked, like I would have yeah. to have gone into the the rose bush. They yep, were pretty yep. thick. But it's just interesting when you think of this is invasive. How bad it was. It was actually for, performing a function for mm-hmm. for native birds, and oh, yeah. and we kind of interrupted that. Mm-hmm. So I've learned my lesson at least that way. As far as yep. maybe there's a time of the year to remove it. Mm-hmm. Or think about what it's performing. We're putting other things in after the oh, patio yeah. is. Yep. We've added so much, but once the patio's in, we're going to add mm-hmm. around it. So it's not like it's going to be void. But that's a cool story. Yeah. yeah. So it was. I freaked out. I freaked yeah. out. Like I was like, <laughs> I can't be the bird killer. Like yeah. I spend my Sundays taking photos of sitting in the backyard taking photos of birds. Yeah. At, yeah. Like every Sunday morning. So it's it really kind of <laughs> like bothered me, oh, but yeah. it all worked out fortunately. Good. So I just thought I'd share that with everyone yeah. just like as a little reminder that even though something may escape escape cultivation, it can still be a little bit, you know. Yep. You, you have to you, you just have to be mindful still. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely change how I looked at it. But yeah, anyway, that's, cool that's, that's my secret. Awesome. I never have one and I actually have that, one. I'm I'm not I even gonna it. add any of my own <laughs> thoughts to it. Awesome. I'm gonna leave it at that and thank everyone again. And say, I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Coming up next week, we have a Meet the Guest. And if this one goes through, we're excited because this is one we've had in the works for a year. And we're hoping this one pans out this way because we're – it's something that Tom and I find completely fascinating. 
and we're really excited to bring this to everyone. So hopefully that will work out. Until then, we will see you again next time. Keep it native. Woods, wetlands, and dales grows a bounty of beauty that never fails. Our native plants, so diverse and so rare, treasures of our land beyond compare. For the friends below, soaring oaks above. Each plant has a place, each plant is loved. Modern caterpillars, moss, milk, wheat, so tall. These buzz about, sifting methods fall. Oh, native plants, how do you grace this land? In your diversity, we will take a stand. To preserve our generations to come, may beauty and importance second to none. To protect and preserve the earth, to restore the native plant food that you just can't ignore. Golden rod, asters, and flowers galore. Menard is so stunning, can't help but adore. Your colors, the fragrance, a feast for the eyes. Their value to wild, like no need to disguise. Native plants, how you grace this land. In your diversity, we will take a stand. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.